Hey, if you've got your Bibles, open up to Colossians 1. Colossians chapter 1. Last weekend, we started into this opening prayer that Paul had originally sent to the fellowship of believers in Colossae uh, from his house arrest prison quarters in Rome about 60 AD. And although Paul had never been to Colossae in person, he knew the reputation they had as a holy, consecrated, be-believing group of people whose faith in Christ Jesus and whose love for the saints was growing, probably at the request of their pastor, Epaphras, who was in Rome with Paul and a group of other men that included Timothy and Mark and Luke, as well as Aristarchus and Justice and Demas. Paul wrote to the Colossians and to every hearer and reader since to specifically counter some false teaching philosophies that devalued the supremacy of Christ and the adequacy of salvation through him alone. And those teachings were contaminating the pure and simple truth of the gospel and creating confusion among the, uh, the Colossians. Paul and the other guys with him there in Rome were also faithfully covering these Colossian believers in their prayers. And in particular, they were asking God to fill them with the experiential knowledge of God's will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And listen, that is a prayer straight from the heart of God. That we would be filled with the experiential knowledge of God's will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That prayer straight from the heart of God is still awaiting its fullest fulfillment. Because God desires and invites every person who surrenders the control of their lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ to be filled, not just a little, but to be filled to overflowing with the experiential knowledge of God's will, to develop a full and deep and clear experiential knowledge of God's will. We need to cultivate an active, ongoing relationship with God in each of the ways that he has revealed himself to us. God in his wisdom, in his sovereignty, in his plan, he's revealed himself to us as the Father, as the Son, as the Holy Spirit. I grew up in church my whole life. Got all the way through even having a seminary degree, and I knew about the Father and the Son. And then I met the Holy Spirit. And everything changed. But listen, we, now that I know the Holy Spirit, I mean, I love the way the Spirit works, and I love all of that, but I still love Jesus, and I still love the Father. And there's things to learn about the Father, and there's things to learn about Jesus, and there's things to keep learning about the Holy Spirit. And we need to be in relationship with all of God as he's revealed himself if we want to have a full, deep, clear, experiential knowledge of God's will. But there's something else that we need. In addition to being in relationship with all of God, we need to be in healthy spiritual relationships with other believers, too. We can learn so much from each other. We can learn from each other how to do it, and we can also learn how not to do it. Or we can not learn how not to do it and repeat their same mistakes, but we can learn from each other. We need to be in healthy relationships with one another. The pathway into all spiritual wisdom and understanding is not a religious formula to follow. Instead, it's an ongoing journey that includes personal, relational, dialogue and discovery walks with God and walks with other people. You see, just on our own, our zeal or our naivete or our lack of training can cause us to miss the mark, to stumble into error, and to fall short of God's best for our lives. In the Amplified, Proverbs 15, 22 says, where there is no counsel, and that word counsel is such a cool word. That word counsel means a circle of familiar friends. That word counsel means sharing life together. A circle of familiar friends sharing life together 
giving and taking advice. If you're in a group, you hang out together, you're doing things, this, this, this kind of counsel happens, will require more than just sitting next to somebody in church once a week. This, this kind of counsel is where you eat together, you talk together, you text, you have friendship, you have a relationship, there's a vulnerability, there's an openness. If you get in a group where you're with, where you're with somebody that's only giving advice but can't take it, you might wanna consider a different group. Because those turn into cults and get weird pretty quick. Healthy relationships allow us to give and take. And even if somebody's the, the leader, to be able to speak into their life and then to be able to receive it, that is the way healthy relationships, we need relationships like that. Listen, um, we, we need each other so much. The just me and Jesus idea, that's a mistake. That's a mistake. That'll, that'll lead you into a dead end every time. And, and there's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christians. I mean, even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. I woke up during the night and I thought Batman had Robin and, and uh, Andy Griffith had Barney and, and even Winnie the Pooh had Piglet and Tigger too. I mean, come on. I mean, we are made to be in relationship. with. In fact, we're, we're made in the image of God and God as he's revealed himself is in a constant circle of relationship that's always existed between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we're invited to be in relationship with him and with others like that where there is no counsel purposes are frustrated, but with many counselors, they are accomplished. And I love the promise in the inside of 1 Corinthians 2.16 that says, we have the mind of Christ. Not I have the mind of Christ, we have it. Yes, individually, we have been given the mind of Christ, but if you want to walk it out in ways that are healthy and productive and full of the experiential knowledge of God and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, you better run by some of the things you're thinking through other people who know the Lord too. Because again, sometimes you go, this is what God told me to do. It's like, ah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Now, listen, ultimately, ultimately, it comes down to between us and the Lord. And we have to do what he tells us to do. I've met with a lot of people through the years, and sometimes they'll share an idea with me. That's God. That is God. Go for it, you know. And then I've met with some other people, and they've shared what's on their heart. And I go, hmm, I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't sound right to me and all that. But listen, you pray, and you hear the Lord. And, and throughout the time of doing this, and I've been doing this a long time now, uh, there, are, there are occasions when I've told somebody, mm, I don't know, I don't, I don't, that doesn't sound right to me, but they did it because that was in their heart, and they were right. And they were right, and it was beautiful, and it was just awesome, and it was God. There were also times when I said, I don't think that's right, and they did it anyway. like, mm, yeah, that was a train wreck. I thought it was going to be. But come on back in. Let's go. We've all had train wrecks before, and we put it back together like that. We have the mind of Christ. There's something that we share together. We need each other in our lives. God wants and knows better than we do how important it is for each of us to become reservoirs of every kind of spiritual wisdom and understanding. He also knows better than we do that in all the living active words of scripture, as well as in each of the real life experiences that we have in pursuit of living in the center of God's will, there are layers of progressive revelation. Line upon line, precept upon precept. We are created to go from truth to truth and from glory to glory and from faith to faith. So don't get stuck. Don't get stuck. Whatever you know about God right now, however much it is, be it just a little bit or a lot, there's still more to know. And I know that because you're still here. And as long as we're here, there's still more to know. So don't get stuck. Stay hungry. Stay thirsty. Keep learning, and maybe most importantly, 
Stay teachable. Stay teachable. Colossians 1, verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge, the experiential knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, Paul gave us a twofold purpose for his opening prayer. And until Jesus comes back, we will all need to be filled with the experiential knowledge of God's will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that one, we can live a life worthy of the Lord. And two, so that we can please him in every way. In the Amplified, those two reasons are described like this, that you may walk, live, and conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him and desiring to fully please him in all things. Day in, day out, living, walking, and conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the Lord is a high calling. It's also an incredible opportunity that is open to all of us. It's open to all of you down here on the floor. It's open to all of you sitting up in the balcony. It's up to all of you who are watching online. Hey, William, I see you sitting there. I met William the other day. He's one of our regular watchers online. Wherever we are, this is open to us, an open invitation from God. It's also a go ahead and make my day invitation from the Lord too. So let's not settle for anything less. Let's stop making excuses. Why would we justify living any other way? And according to Romans 8, 9, all of creation is waiting in eager expectation for us to figure this out and live this way. And this Greek word that Paul used for live, walk is the same word Jesus used when he told a paralytic, get up, take up your mat and go home. You know, in all of our lives, there are times when sudden life traumas come our way. And depending on the intensity of it, they can cause us to feel paralyzed. Not only about what to do next, but also in the middle of trauma. And on the other side, we can even feel stuck sometimes in our relationship with God. But God. He's ever faithful to us, so patient with us. And he meets us with his mercy and grace and love over and over and over again, right where we are. His promise is that he will never leave us alone. I also think he never leaves us alone, you know, both sides of that. He's right in the middle of our lives. He never forsakes us. And guess what? Even when we get mad at him, he can handle it. He can handle it. He's heard it before. And nothing you're going to tell him you hadn't heard before. Read the book. A lot of it's in the book already. People just pouring out their heart. He can handle it. He's heard him every language, every culture. Even when we're mad at him, he can handle it. In the midst of any trauma, the key thing to do is to look for and to listen for and then to receive the Holy Spirit at work within us. He is an ever-present help in every one of our times of need. This Greek word that Paul used for live, walk is about our whole lives, not parts. You know, it's so easy to kind of compartmentalize our lives. But this word for living and walking in a manner worthy of the Lord is about our whole lives. The same word used in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We live by faith, not by sight, which is better understood. We live our whole life by faith, not by sight. Same word used in Galatians 5.16, live by the Spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Live your whole life by the Spirit, not just your Sunday going to church life, your whole life by the Spirit 
and you'll not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Same word used in 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we walk our whole life in the light as he is in the light, two amazing things happen. All of a sudden, we become magnetic to other people and we find ourselves in relationships. You know, sometimes we get lonely, we get isolated, we get separated. And sometimes the cause of that is because actually we're going in and out of shadows. And we think we're the only one that knows, you know, because it's kind of secret, right? But the crazy thing is most of the time other people know what's going on in our lives more than they let on. And even when they don't, when we're going in and out of shadows, what happens a lot of times is, I don't know, there's just something that comes out of us and it causes people to give us a little bit of our space because they don't know how we're going to show up that day. They don't know who they're dealing with. But when we walk in the light, we walk in vulnerability. We don't have airs to put on. We don't have to pretend anything. We're just who we are. We show up the same day after day after day after day. We walk in the light as he is in the light. All of a sudden, it's the easiest thing in the world to make friends and be friends with people because people know who we are. They can decide whether they like us or not, but they're not being pushed away by some secrets inside. As cool as that is, the other side is even cooler. When we walk in the light, all our life in the light, as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus purifies us from our sin. And that word means it goes all the way down to the very core and takes the roots out. What happens when we're living in the shadows is sometimes it's like we get the weed out the top, but you still got the root in the ground, and so it's coming back. But there's a light therapy thing that God knew about way before they ever invented it down here. That when we walk in the light as he is in the light, there's a purification, there's a cleansing to the very core. Walking our whole life in the light. And this word for live and walk is about a continual direction of movement rather than a destination. And it's through the Bible commentary, J. Vernon McGee. How many have ever listened to J. Vernon McGee? On the, I used to listen to him a lot on the radio. J. Vernon McGee. This is J. Vernon McGee through the Bible. I mean, it's just such a distinct voice. I found a quote from him this week. He said, walking is not a balloon ascension. A great many people think the Christian life is some great overwhelming experience and you take off like a rocket and going on into outer space. That's not where we live the Christian life. Instead, it's in our home, in our office, in the schoolroom, on the street. The way we get around in life is we walk. And we're to walk in Christ joined to him in our daily walk. Later in Colossians, Paul reminded them and us, since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Living out of that holy place of being hidden with Christ in God, that's what helps us to walk freer and freer. And to live deader and deader to the ways we used to be, think, and behave. The Greek word Paul used for please him in every way implies a constant yielding to what we often mistakenly consider to be our rights. So to please him in every way involves both regularly emptying ourselves as well as a wholehearted pursuing of humility and obedience. Beyond that, it's about a willingness to do anything to anticipate and to meet God's desires. But don't get the wrong idea about this to please him in every way part. Know this, God is already pleased with us. We don't have to earn his pleasure. He created us. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Graham Cook likes to say, God never gets disillusioned with us because he never had any illusions about us in the first place. And what we know to be true is God loves us. But sometimes what we forget is he actually likes us too. Yeah, he loves us. Loves, loves, loves. Perfect loves us. Drives out fear, kind of loves us. But he likes us too. Yeah, but what about, no, he likes that part too. I know he sees us struggling, but it's okay. He's confident of the work that he's doing in us. He knows what he's doing. He, can tr he trusts the process. And he likes us. Mm, something freeing about that. Somebody needs to take hold of that. You're sitting here this morning thinking, I know he loves me, but mm. yeah, it's true. He does. But he likes you too. Yeah, but I want to be, I know, I know. But he's pleased with you. His smile is over your life. The safest place in all the world for you is in the presence. Yeah, but I'm messing up. I know. Go to the presence of the Lord. That's where you need to be. In fact, if you think you can fix it without getting to the presence of the Lord, what do you need him for? But it's his delight in us, his smile over our lives that allows us to come to his throne with confidence, not slinking into his presence, but we come with confidence and he meets us with mercy, come on. mercy, and then his grace and his smile. What an awesome God we serve. Here's a key truth. To please him in every way only happens as we live out a responsive life with God. He will always be the initiator. All we have to do is respond. To live and walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and to please him in every way isn't based on our initiatives, our effort, or even our performance. Instead, it's accomplished as we live a responsive life to God's mercy, grace, and love as it's extended to us. The more consistently our daily lives are walked out like that, the more accurately will reflect God's heart and God's ways in the world today. Well, how can we know if we're living a responsive life? Lucky for us, Paul defined it for us right here. Picking up halfway through verse 10. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in experiential knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light, bearing fruit in every good work. The word Paul used here for bearing fruit literally means being fertile, bearing in abundance, being fruitful and productive. It's not enough just to do a few good works. In the kingdom, good works are meant to extend beyond a single act so that they provoke and spark more good works. Many years ago, uh, there was a guy named Steve Shogren, and he was traveling around the country, and he was talking to churches, and he was talking about random acts of kindness, and uh, talking about the power of that, and, and just things that we can do that just show the love of God to other people just randomly, and, and then he was encouraging, put a tag on it after you do it sometimes, it's just a, little, just a little way for you to know how much God loves you and cares about your everyday needs, and just sowing that into people's lives. So uh, my boys and I, right after we'd heard about that, one of the things we'd do is we'd get up early in the morning. Uh, and we'd go to the local mini mart on, a, on the cold, and during the cold, and I'd have them all bundled up in jackets, and we would pump gas for people so they wouldn't have to get out of their car, and just tell them, you know, it's just a, just a little simple thing to let know God, you know, that God loves you and cares about your needs. A big group of us went to one of the local parks, kind of like Lewis Hayes, where there's a lot of walkers, and we just had a whole bunch of bottles of uh, water, and we just would hand them to people, can hey, you want a bottle of water? Just, just a simple way to let you know God cares about your everyday life and the things that you're doing. So it was kind of programmatic like that, and we did that, and we sewed into it. But listen, this kind of random acts of kindness isn't a program to do. It's just how we're supposed to live. I mean, it's holding the door for somebody as they go into the, 
uh, store. It's about, uh, hey, I'll take that cart for you and push it back so that somebody doesn't have to walk their way all the way back to the cart. It's about putting your cart back in the rack rather than leaving it out in the parking lot somewhere where somebody has to claim it. I mean, it's about being in the drive-through line and saying, you know what, I'm going to pay for the person behind me. You don't even know what they ordered, but you just pay for them, and you just do it as a blessing for them. And I was reading about that happened in one place, and they went eight cars in a row, eight cars in a row with paying for the people. Oh, they paid for mine? Well, I'll pay for theirs. Oh, they paid for mine? That's what good works in the kingdom are supposed to do, not just, okay, I did it and it was done, but it sparks more. It creates more, and more things come from it. There's a contagious effect to it. Jesus said that it's to his Father's glory. When we bear much fruit, because it shows us to be and reveals to the world that we are his disciples. He also said, apart from him, we can't do anything that creates lasting, sustainable change or that will be consequentially beneficial. In the Passion, John 15, 5 says, I'm a sprouting vine and you are my branches as you live in union with me as your source. Ooh, so powerful. As you live in union with me as your source fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, you're powerless. Chapter 22 of his book, In My Father's Vineyard, Wayne Jacobson wrote, fruit doesn't lie. The truth of a branch's life is found in the harvest. The branch that remains in the vine will reap an abundance of fruit useful to the master in extending his kingdom. The character developed in the branch will demonstrate God's love and grace to others. However, there's a less joyful side to the harvest. The branch that did not wholeheartedly pursue friendship with Jesus or resisted the master's training will cast off its fruit in the weariness of summer heat. If the branch stayed just close enough to Jesus to survive, the fruit, if any, will be pale and tasteless. Worse yet, branches that only pretended to draw life from Christ, but in fact resisted his work in them while serving themselves, will bear fruit of their own likeness, not Christ's. Fruit cannot be faked. Fruit makes the invisible visible. Fruit makes the invisible visible. We, on, on, on Friday afternoon, we had a service here for Nancy Russell. And her life was a testimony of fruit that made the invisible visible. I mean, she was an amazing lady. Went through a lot of different things. Uh, she was in an accident on Halloween on the other side of town. Should have killed her in the accident, really. It was so severe. But, but God saved her. The angels around her protected her enough. We saw her in the hospital a couple days later from the neck up. Perfect. Alert. Telling you everything that was going on. No what was happening. Making connections from the neck down. Everything broken. And she lasted for another couple of weeks. But, and, but the gift of the next couple of weeks was the opportunity for closure with everybody in her family. Face to face. Because she was totally alert. She knew them by name. She was talking. They were laughing. They were joking. What was amazing seeing her in the hospital. I don't know if you visit people in the hospital. But when you visit people in the hospital, they're not usually like, that's not like their best day. Right? And uh, I've got a couple of kids that have worked in hospitals as physical therapists and occupational therapists. And they've confirmed what I found out. Sometimes when you visit people in the hospital, they're in a pretty rotten mood. You know? I mean, they're just stuck there. And then, and like when a physical therapist or an occupational therapist comes, they're getting you out of bed, which is like, oh, I don't want to get out of bed. I'm not feeling good. All that that goes on. Nancy was amazing. I mean, so much broken. And yet every person that she talked to, just this love and this kindness and this genuine, you can't fake that. When you're that broken, who you really are shows up. The visible was, the invisible was made visible. I was talking to her son on the Wednesday. She passed away early Thursday morning. Uh, November the 9th. On the 8th, her numbers had been down really low. 
And, and they kept telling her she might be going any time. But then all of a sudden she rallied and there was this, all her numbers leveled up. And they said her eyes popped open and they started, hey, mom, mom. She, she wasn't seeing them. There was something else that she was seeing. They said the look of awe that was on her face and the love and the peace of God that filled the room was just like incredible. And her, her son's a, a believer, but he said, I had never experienced that. It was just a whole room filled up with the love and the peace of God. Next morning, 422, she breathed her last breath and passed away. And he, he said, it was just like, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, we're back in the hospital room, you know? But her life, her life, the invisible made visible. Same thing happens with us. When it finally appears, it reveals what's been going on in the vineyard all the seasons. And in the time of harvest, only one thing matters, our friendship with Jesus. And the depth of that friendship will be measured by the fruit that we bear. In order for us to stay fertile enough to bear fruit in every good work, we have to keep giving attention to the soil conditions of our heart. We've got to keep breaking up any and all the hardened, fallow ground in our heart and keep removing the rocks that keep us from being rooted and grounded in God's love. And we've got to get rid of the thorny places. Jesus identified the thorny places as the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of riches. And listen, none of that happens accidentally. But the result is more and more of our heart becomes good soil. And Jesus said good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop 30, 60, even 100 times what was sown into them. Another dimension and the rest of the story related to bearing fruit in every good work is the work part. Say work. Yeah, you know, now granted, sometimes... Being salt and light doesn't feel like work at all. I mean, it is a joy. It is a blessing. You can feel God's pleasure in it. I love those times. However, there are the other times when it takes every bit of self-control to respond in the opposite spirit, to not do what others did to you, to not respond as they treated you and as they did to you. And to keep living good and beautiful lives filled with good and beautiful deeds, even in the face of misunderstanding and accusation. Either way, Jesus said, be careful not to do your good works publicly to be admired by others. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your good works may be done in secret. And then your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. There's also the good work of reaping and harvesting. And as it is in the natural, harvesting is hard, intense, seasonal work. And finding willing and able laborers is always an issue. One time Jesus said, don't say four months more in the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Part of bearing fruit in every good work is saying yes to the call of the Lord of the harvest. And that yes means putting feet and time and self and heart and energy into the task at hand. It's laying our lives down for other people. It's getting to serve and be Jesus's hands and feet for the sake of advancing and sharing his love and the gospel in real and tangible ways. Guess what? When we live fully engaged in all these aspects of bearing fruit in every good work, we'll quite naturally find ourselves growing in the experiential knowledge of God. Growing in experiential knowledge of God means increasing, enlarging, and maturing in our understanding and in our recognition of God's active choice will. 
And as we live led by and in step with the Holy Spirit, we will also increase and enlarge and mature in our understanding and recognition of the variety of creative, personal, and brilliant ways God works in and through and with people like us. And as it relates to growing and increasing, remember this, God loves addition. God loves addition. But let me tell you something. He really, really loves multiplication. Really loves, remember what he did with five loaves and two fish? He loves the dynamics. Now, well, okay, five loaves and two fish, let's make seven. Now, let's feed thousands and thousands. He loves multiplication. And one more thing for you accountants in the room. God understands the dynamic of compounding interest a lot better than any of us do. He knows it's little deposit, little deposit, little deposit, little deposit, little deposit. And then suddenly there's something there. It was just this much. It was just, and then suddenly it's this much. He understands that. And that's the way he calls us to live our lives, just sowing faithfully into good works. Later in Colossians, Paul used an illustration of a healthy body in which growing required staying connected to the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Again, he's the initiator. We just have to respond. We just have to grow as God causes us to grow. And whenever we grow as God causes us to grow, part of that involves intentional choices to put away childish thoughts and actions and things so that we can press into and take hold of all for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of us to become and to be and to do. In the Passion, it says, yielding to his life and maturing in the rich experience of knowing God in his fullness. In the message, it describes that like this. As you learn more and more how God works, you will learn how to do your works. As you learn more and more how God works, you will learn how to do your work. An essential understood about bearing fruit and growing is that both are only possible as we're being strengthened with all power. And specifically, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. You talk about being strengthened with super atomic power. And listen to me. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us. Mm. Mm. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Why? So that we may have great endurance and patience. The Amplified Amplified calls that being invigorated so that we can exercise every kind of endurance, patience, perseverance, and forbearance. In Greek, this being strengthened describes a continual strengthening. I'm saying that there's a commercial on uh, TV right now and it's it's an an electric plug that's singing a sad song because the new iPhones last a long time. It's like, we used to have a relationship and you're never around anymore because you're not plugged in. This kind of strengthening is a continue. We are constantly plugged in, but it is not the product of our own willpower. Instead, as we walk with God from the inside out by the indwelling presence and power of the Holy Spirit, we are continually enabled and empowered with what we need to bear up under whatever problem people or problem circumstances God allows into our lives. My dad used to call this kind of endurance, keep on keeping on. Just keep on keeping on. People with endurance don't quit. They manifest the ability to bear all things and see them turned into something 
that gives glory to God. And listen, this endurance is a key trait to keep developing until Jesus comes back. And the reason I know that is because Jesus addressed seven churches in the book of Revelation. And in every one of them, the phrase said to every single one of them is, to the one who overcomes, to the one who overcomes. So this overcoming endurance is something that's meant to be part of our lives. And in regards to the patience part, this kind of patience isn't about being passive and complacent and bowing our head and just grinning and bearing as the tide of events flow over and past us. No, this is a conquering patience. This patience only comes as a result of a disciplined lifestyle choice to abide in and to remain under the lordship of Jesus Christ. This patience even can be literally translated as being long-tempered, being long-tempered in contrast to being short-tempered. It describes, listen to this, a state of emotional calm or quietness that does not retaliate, even in the face of provocation, misfortune, or unfavorable circumstances. Patience, a state of emotional calm or quietness that does not retaliate in the face of provocation, misfortune, or unfavorable circumstances. One source I found this week noted, patience is a virtue that carries, <laughs> patience is virtue. I, one time I started writing a song. They say patience is a virtue, but sometimes it isn't mine. It's hard to be patient when you're waiting all the time. That's as far as I got in the song. Uh, but there's somebody here, I shared that, I don't know, a year ago, somebody here heard that much of it and actually put it into the lyrics of a song. So I thought there's a good country song in there somewhere. There's a good song in there. But the quote I found this week is, patience is a virtue that carries a lot of weight, W-A-I-T, weight. Patience is a virtue that carries a lot of weight. And we know from Isaiah 40, 31, that they that wait upon the Lord renew their strength. They soar on wings like eagles. They can run and not get weary. They can walk and not faint. In the message it says, we pray that you'll have the strength to stick it out for the long haul. Not the grim strength of gritting your teeth, but the glory strength that God gives. It's a strength that endures the unendurable. Whew. A strength that endures the unendurable and spills over into complaining and grump, no, no, and spills over into joy, thanking the Father who makes us strong enough to take part in everything bright and beautiful that he has for us. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in experiential knowledge, being strengthened, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. One commentator wrote, joyfully is literally with joy. Let the light come on. Bing! Wow, joyfully is literally with joy, but here's the rest. Joyfully is literally with joy, which forms a necessary addition. Because the peculiar danger of having to exercise steadfast endurance and patience is that it tends to produce a certain gloominess or sourness in our disposition. And I love this. This joyfully allows us to meet all our trials with a buoyant sense of security. Sometimes this joyfulness is happy, 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 but more often than not, this joyfulness is a buoyant sense of security that no matter what's going on, no matter whether I'm enjoying it or not, the joy of the Lord is my strength and he's got me and he's not letting go of me. The definition of this joyfully actually tells us how to access it. Joyfully means an awareness of grace. An awareness of grace. It's been said 
this joyfully is grace dependent and circumstances independent. Did you catch that? This joyfully is grace dependent and circumstances independent. And Paul connected this joyfully to the life-changing power and practice of giving thanks to the Father. We all have so much to be thankful for. So much. And giving thanks to the Father should be intermingled as a practice that permeates every part of our lives every day. It can be part of every event. And it's meant to be the operative motive in and for all our actions every day. This particular kind of joyfully giving thanks to the Father is an expressive gratitude that actually enhances the level of fellowship with God. It's the Greek word eucharisteo, which is where we get like Eucharist, which is a word for the Lord's Supper. It's like that. It, it implies the obligation of being thankful for all God has done, is doing, and is yet to do for us. This giving thanks is about having a due sense of the benefits and the favor and the grace that we have received matched with matched with a willingness to openly recognize and acknowledge all that we've been given with a grateful heart. And in Greek, this giving thanks to the Father is in present tense, which means it's, we should be doing it continually, as a lifestyle, habitually, at all times, in all situations. Here's a wake-up call quote from Charles Spurgeon. It ought to be as habitual for us to thank as to ask. Whoo! It ought to be as habitual for us to thank as to ask. As joyfully giving thanks to the Father infuses every part of our lives, then we'll be better positioned to make draws upon and start living in our inheritance now. The phrase Paul used was qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints. And it means to be provided with the adequate power, means, opportunity, and authority to do something. Tell somebody next to you, you're qualified. From the mouth of, let the matter be confirmed from the mouth of two or three witnesses. Tell somebody else, you're qualified. Tell somebody else, you're qualified. Now listen, here's what this qualified means. It does not mean finished. This qualified means a work in progress. But it also comes from the root word that means you are competent, like you are stepping into your season. It, it means ample in amount. And eventually it means being fit into our character, who we are and how we show up every day. Bottom line, this qualified is about us being who we are created to be so we can do what we're created to do, which sounds a lot like living in grace to me. One more thing here. Qualified also means we're all supposed to be participants, not spectators. Look at verse 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In the message it says, God rescued us from dead in alleys and dark dungeons. And he set us up in the kingdom of the son he loves so much. The son who got us out of the pit we were in and got rid of the sins we were doomed to keep on repeating. In the Amplified it says, for he has rescued us and drawn us to himself from out of the control and dominion of darkness and he has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have our redemption because of his sacrifice and through his blood, resulting in the forgiveness of our sins and the cancellation of sin's penalties. What a beautiful, amazing, astounding truth. Our heavenly father has not only rescued and delivered us, 
but he has and is actively drawing us to himself. And he didn't just get us out of the mess. He brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. This word brought means to be carried away, even to be accompanied. And in all of our lives, that's happened more than we realize. And there's still many more times that it's going to happen. It's like we're going along and all of a sudden we're being carried. We're walking with him. And then sometimes he just puts us up on his shoulders. He's carrying us that way. Sometimes he straps us into the car, buckles us all in, and then gets in looking. Are you doing good back there? Well, he's driving the car and takes them off. He brought us. He brought us. But listen, as precious and as beautiful as it is to be carried and accompanied by the Lord, we're created to walk with him. So oftentimes, sooner than we think we're ready, comes the day where he goes, all right, here we go. Let's go. Come on. Come on, you got this. Yeah, you're doing good. You're doing good. Okay, wait, stand there. All right, now come on. Come on. Oh, got you, got you. It's good. That's okay, that's okay. Come on, try again. Try again. Come on. Come on, you got it. Oh, yeah, there you go. There you go. Come on, come on, come on. Oh, got you. So good. So good. Let's walk together. Let's walk together. That's what we're created for. That's what we're created for. As precious as it is at times that he will carry us, he'll accompany us. We're made to walk with him. And as we walk with him, we learn and oftentimes relearn how to walk with him. Why does the father transfer us into the kingdom of the son he loves? Because it's in Jesus alone that we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Redemption means our ransom has been paid in full. The price we could never pay on our own has been paid for us. And the working out of that redemption, our old self gets broken up, loosened, dissolved, and melted. And as a result, we find ourselves reduced back to God's original intention and design for our lives. And we find ourselves that way by the power of Jesus' blood shed on the cross. The forgiveness part means freedom, pardon, liberty, remission. And this forgiveness also comes from the word to be sent forth. We're not meant to keep the good news and incredible benefits of our forgiveness to ourselves. Got to tell somebody. Got to show somebody. We're meant to live it. We're meant to walk it out. We're meant to demonstrate it. We're meant to live in such ways that people say, what is that going on in you? And why are you that way? It's not meant to be, oh, I'm forgiven. And we just keep it to ourselves. It's meant to be seen, meant to be evident. The Holy Spirit saw fit to have this life-giving opening prayer originally written to the Colossians preserved for us in the Bible so that people like us can read it, study it, pray it, and hopefully become it. It would have been enough if all we got was the request to be filled with the experiential knowledge of God's will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. There is so much there. There is so much there to take hold of. It would have been enough if that's all we had. But God, he wanted us to see how that plays out and what it's intended to look like in our everyday lives. And then on top of that, he clearly articulated why it's all possible. Because our father says so. Because our father says so, we've each been qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. We've been rescued from the dominion of darkness. We've been brought, redeemed, and forgiven into the kingdom of the son our father loves. And Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So, what are we waiting for? Let's give ourselves wholeheartedly 
to the business of bearing fruit in every good work and growing in our experiential knowledge of God and his ways. And as God continually strengthens us, may we find ourselves continually joyful, giving thanks to the Father as we live in and live out the inheritance of the saints on earth as it is in heaven in the kingdom of light. God grant it and let it be so. Let's stand together. Thank you for your word, Lord. So much, so much, so rich, so true. So many things to take hold of. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Don't just let this, this word wash over us and past us. I pray it's like seeds sown into our lives. And I pray we produce a crop 30, 60, 100 times what's sown in. We, we ask that for your namesake, for your glory, that our lives would be lined up like this, that our lives would be bearing fruit in every good work, that, that our lives would be uh, strengthened, that, that our lives would be demonstrating your life and your goodness, that we'd be joyfully thankful, we'd be growing in our experiences with you, in our experiential knowledge of you that we'd be linked in with one another, a body moving together, holding each other up and pushing each other and spurring one another on to more love and good deeds. Lord, you so deserve to have some people on the planet that are living that way, and we wanna be some of those people. So let this word, let this word soak into us and let it become more and more and more of who we are and how we show up in the world every day. And we ask this for your name's sake and your glory. Amen, amen. All right.